This is Daf Tedvav in Masechet Megillah. We are 13 lines from the bottom of Yudalid Amud Bet, where it says, Amar Rav Nachman, Amar Rav Nachman, Lo Ya'a Yeruta Being kind of bold or impudent is not fitting for women. Because Tartein Neshe, and it should say, Nevi Atta, there were two prophetesses, Yeiran Havyan, they were both Overly bold, Vistanyan Shemayu, when they have names that are negative. Chadash Maziborta, one is named after a bead, Vora. Chadash Makarkoshta, one is named after a weasel, Chulda. Ziborta, Ketiva, what does it say regarding B? Vatishach Vatikale Varak. It says that she summoned Barak instead of him coming, instead of her going to him, Vilu Ihila Azlalagave, she didn't go to him, so that was a kind of an authoritarian attitude that was, that didn't reflect positively on her. Karkoshta Ketiva, what does it say about Karkoshta, about Chulda? Imrula Ish. When Yoshiao sent messengers to her, instead of saying, speak to the king, tell the king such and such, she said, speak to the man who sent you. So uh, it was kind of uh, bold of her, it was kind of impudent of her, so therefore she is considered, uh, shed a negative light on her. Uh, it should say, the prophetess, she was a descendant of Yoshua bin Nun. In, in her lineage, it says Ben Charchas. It says over there regarding Yoshua that uh, he was buried in Timnat Cheres. So Charchas and Cheres is con- connected to one another. The elder objected. It says that there were eight prophets uh, who were Kohanim that came from Machavazona Veloen, and here these were their names. Neria, Baruch, Usraya, Machseya, Yirmiya, Chilkiya, Hanamel, Vishalom. So all of these were uh, prophets that issued forth from Rachav. And it doesn't mention there Chulda. It says that Chulda was also a descendant of Rachav Azona. So he adds Chulda to the list. Because in the, in the uh, ancestry of Chuldat uses the word tikva, and we know that the tikva also means the, is a reference to the string that was put in the window to save the family of Rachav that was in the house. So, because it says tikva tchutashani, the red string. So, that's the connection uh, of Chuldat to Rachav. Amar said back, in other words, he, or I'm sorry, either he said, Enasaba, elder, another elder. Vamrilan, some say, Patya Uchma, said, black pot. Between the two of us, we can come to a conclusion. In other words, he responded, Enasaba um, uh, was the, who was responding to Enasaba's difficulty that he raised, but he said, you know, between the two of us, we discover something, which is that the Igai Ravnasa Yoshua, obviously, Yoshua and, and Rachav were married, and that's why it was that. Uh, that Rachav became Jewish and married Yoshua, and that's why the descendants of Rachav are also descendants of Yoshua. And if Chulda was a descendant of Rachav, then she was also a descendant of Yoshua. But did Yoshua actually have children? But it says in the pasuk Nun Beno Yoshua Beno. It says that Nun uh, was uh, Yoshua was the son of Nun in Divrei Yamim, and uh, but it doesn't say but uh, that he had any children after him. Yoshua was the last in the line. So it says, Banelo He didn't have any sons, but he had daughters. So that shows you that um, that shows you that he uh, uh, that he you know Rachav, with Rachav together with Rachav he was able to have um, the uh, he was able to have Chulda uh, issue from him. Obviously, the other according to this, the other Nevi'im that were descended must have been from the daughters of uh, Rachav and. Uh, 
and Yoshua together, that they had daughters, and therefore all the Nevi'im, such as Chulda, and the rest of them, Shalom, and Chilkiah, and Chanam El, etc., all of them descended from Rachav, but they descended from daughters that Yoshua had with Rachav, that eventually uh, led to having sons later who were uh, Nevi'im. Now we know that they that these people who are listed in the list are it says explicitly they were prophets. For example, uh, um, etc. But how do we know Avatayuminalan? How do we know that their fathers were also counted as Navi? In other words, we, how do we know that the, uh, that, that we know that these people who are listed in the Pasuk explicitly are Nevi'im, but how do we know that their fathers are Nevi'im, such as, for example, uh, and how do we know that, uh, Neraya was a Navi just because Bauch was, for example? Um, so the Gemara says, the Am, Kideula, like Ula says, the Amar Ula, Kol Makam Shishmo Veshem Avi Ben Viut, anytime a Navi is identified by his father's name, Biadoshu Navi Ben Navi. You could tell that his father was also a Navi. Shemo Velo Shem Avi, but mentions the name of the Navi, but not the father's name. So Biadoshu Navi Velo Ben Navi. So that tells you that, uh, he was a Navi and his father was not a Navi. But Shemo Veshem Yoro, if it mentions the city he's from, right, if it's explicit, the city, so Biadoshu Meotair, that means that he's from that particular city. Right? Meaning that, uh, he's a Navi that hailed from that particular city. If it doesn't mention the name of a city, then we assume that all Navi'im came from Yerushalayim as our assumption, if we don't see any indication to the, uh, to the contrary. Um, but the point is that, uh, whenever some detail is mentioned in, with respect to the identity of a Navi, it means to uh, say something about the Navi, either where he started his career or where uh, the absence of mentioning a place will, men, will mean Yerushalayim. And when it comes to mentioning the father, if the father is mentioned in the Pasuk, that means that the father was also a, uh, uh, it was also a, uh, a Navi himself. Um, So, uh, um, anytime the, his actions and the actions of his father are stumin, are not clear. And the Pasuk tells you about one of them that it's positive. Uh, like, for example, if we see an example that an individual receives the prophecy, Right, we see a list of uh, all these people in the pasuk, but the point is that um, what does that tell you? Be a tzadik ben tzadik. That means that he comes from a line of tzadikim because it's mentioning that the word of Hashem came to him, and it's mentioning his lineage. It means lineage was good. Anytime it, it criticizes, in other words, it, it says something negative about someone in a line of ancestry. It gives you his heritage, the heritage of Ishmael ben Netanyahu murdered Gedaliah. So in that case, it's mentioning his lineage in the context of his crime because it means that he came from a bad background too. Amar Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman said, and according to what we have on site, it should say, Amar Rav, according to uh, what the Haggot, what the, the corrections of the text have on the side. But in any case, Malachi is Mordechai. The Navi Malachi was actually Mordechai. So why was he called Malachi? Because he was second to the king and Malach means a servant or a messenger. And since he was second to the king, he was called Malachi. Um... Made the way there is an objection. Baruch ben Neriya, Usraya ben Masaya. So these uh, Nevi'im, Vidaniel, Mordechai, Bilshan, all of these uh, individuals, and according to Rashi, it should say 
uh, it should have a, a, the word should be machseya, not maseya, like we saw earlier. Vechagai uvezechayel malachi kulan itnabu b'shnat shtayim daryavish. All of these people on the list prophesied in the second year of daryavish. Now the problem is that Mordechai and Malachi are mentioned in the same line, so obviously they can't be the same person. So it says Tiuvta. That is a refutation then of the idea that Malachi. And Mordechai, the same person, because you see they're on a list as two different people. Tanya, it says, Malachi says, actually, Malachi the Navi was actually Ezra. Uh, because Dichtiv, because Chachamim uh, because, Malachi uh, Shemo. Right? The Chachamim say, no, Malachi was his name. That uh, he, he was an independent person. It wasn't the same as Ezra. Right? So the, uh, so the Machloket, whether Malachi was the same as Ezra, or he was his own person. So it's uh, Amar of Nachman. Rav Nachman said that uh, it makes sense to say that Malachi was actually Ezra. Why? Because uh, because because it says in the prophecies that are recorded by Malachi, Bagda Yehuda v'Toeva Neesta b'Yisrael u'Yerushalayim that that Yehuda rebelled against Hashem and an abomination was done in Israel and Jerusalem that that Yehuda uh, desecrated the holiness of Hashem that he loved and he had relations with the daughter of a foreign god in other words he engaged in intermarriage and who was the person who dealt with intermarriage right and who was the one who separated the Jewish men from their non-Jewish wives Ezra was Ezra as we see in the Pasuk in connection with Ezra as we see that uh, that Shechaniah Ben Yechiel from uh, of the uh, people of Elam said, "We uh, trespassed against our God." And we took foreign wives, and of course we know that Ezra had to deal with that problem. So the fact that Malachi mentions the idea of intermarriage, and Ezra dealt with the idea of intermarriage, indicates that they might be the same person. There are four most beautiful women in the world. But according to the opinion that says that Esther wasn't actually beautiful, she actually was kind of greenish. So instead of Esther, it should say Vashti. And then you have, you still have four women. Rachav, just by her name, would entice a person to sin. Yael would entice somebody by her voice. Avigal, just by thinking of her. Michal, the daughter of Shaul, just by seeing her, would lead a person to Zinut, would lead a person to impure thoughts and therefore to. Uh, uh, to uh, immoral actions. Um, anybody who says the, name, the word would immediately have a seminal emission from that. What are you talking about? I say the word nothing happens to me. He said to him, talking about somebody who actually knew her and recognized her, or some say means that was intimate with her and knows her. Meaning that type of person who actually knows what they mean when they say he would have be aroused just by her name alone. Um, the Tosafot asks, why doesn't it mention in the list of beautiful women, Chava? And it says, because since Hashem made Chava, made Eve, she doesn't count on the list of those who were naturally the four most beautiful women ever uh, created. Umar that the Koalashen Lassad says, and Mordechai knew everything that had happened, meaning he knew about the decree that was contracted between Haman and Achashveosh. Uh, to destroy the Jews. My, what is it talking about? And what should really it say according to the Bach on the side? He says, should say that uh, my Amar. Oh no, it's the same thing that we have. Okay, so that's not the change. So well, the change that the Bach is putting is what? Oh, that he put, uh, uh, that he put the word. 
אשר נעשה וגומר. Okay, so now it says, um, so the question, so he knew what happened. So the question is, so the question is, מי אמר? What did he say? And Rashi says, It says that he cried out when he heard about the terrible things that happened. What did he say? What was, what was um, Mordechai crying out? Rav Amar Gava Man Mechashverosh. Haman is risen higher than Achashverosh. Shmuel Amar Gavar Malkailam Malkatata. That Shmuel said, No, what he said was, the, the higher king has gone over the lower king. And actually, what he meant was the opposite that it's like the earthly king is overpowering Hashem because he's making a decree against Hashem. That's what he was crying out. And either way, he was lamenting some injustice. Either that Haman, who should have been in a lower position, had attained a higher position than the king, or that a human king was going to defy the will of God by destroying the Jews. Vatitchalchal Amalkat says that, the, that Esther was very disturbed, and it uses the word Vatitchalchal, which sounds like some of bodily disturbance. My Vatitchalchal Amarav Shpersanida. According to Rav, it means that she started a period. Rabbi Yumiya Amar, Shutzuchal and Kaved means that she had to go to the bathroom. She was sick. From hearing the news, is there called Hatach to find out what was going on with Mordechai? Actually, Hatach was Daniel. Why is it called Hatach? Because they cut him down from his previous um, high level. Because in the days of uh, because in the days of Belshazzar, before he was at a very high position in the kingdom, and now he was at the beck and call of. Um, of Esther, so he, was, he obviously was on a lower level in times of Koresh. He was at a, a higher level um, in previous administrations, but he was in a lower uh, position in Achashverosh's uh, kingdom, and therefore, they cut him down from his greatest. No, it could be the opposite, that all matters of the kingdom were cut, were finalized according to his word. In other words, that he was, an adv- he was a high advisor to the king. That's why he was called Hatach. Not because it was lowered, but because he had such authority. He wanted to know what was this and about what was this. That's what Esther wanted to know about Mordechai walking around in sackcloth. What was it and what was it about? She sent him a message. Maybe the Jewish people violated the five books of the Torah where it says when it talks about the, the Luchot Abrit and it talks about the tablets that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down from Har Sinai. It says they were written on both sides. So the word Mizeh, it says Zeh twice in the Pasuk as a reference. In other words, you want to know is there some sin that the Jewish people did that they deserve this punshment. They told Mordechai to Esther, said, But he didn't go back to her. Uh, he didn't go back. In other words, the idea is that even though uh, that uh, Mordechai uh, filled him in on it, but Daniel or Hatach who came to Mordechai did not go back uh, to report the negative news. It was given indirectly, apparently, to Esther, not directly. Why? Because we don't want to come back from, uh, uh, from, uh, uh, w- with something negative. And Rashi says, Because uh, Esther was, uh, uh, was holding herself back from going to the king. She didn't want to go. So therefore, in other words, Hatach brought the words back, right? So what it means to say is like this, that, uh, that, uh, that uh, Esther sent Hatach to find out what's going on with Mordechai. Mordechai brought back the knowledge to Esther. But then when Esther wanted to say that she wasn't willing to go uh, to see the king, and she was saying, no, I won't go to see the king, because it says in the Pasuk explicitly that Hatach reported back to Esther what Mordechai said. But then when Esther wanted to tell Mordechai that she didn't feel comfortable following through with the mission and going and approaching Achashverosh, which was her original position, so then it doesn't say Hatach brought that word. Why? Because we don't want to bring back word. He didn't want to bring back word of something negative uh, uh, to Mordechai, so she had to send somebody else, says Rashi. In any case, Lech Kenoset Kola Yehudim, 
she said, gather all the Jews together, let them fast for three days. Um, uh, so until where it says, in other words, she's going to go in to speak with the king. If everyone fasts, why does she say, I'm going to go in to speak with the king, not according to the law? Because was not according to the law. How so? And uh, because, and the way that um, the Bach has the words here, kol yom vayom, shebechol yom vayom, every other day, be'ones, it was against her will. Whenever she was intimate with the king, it was against her will, and therefore it didn't make her defiled by the king to continue living with Mordechai. Ad now it's going to be on purpose, because I'm going in to see him, and he's probably going to have his way with me, and that's going to make me now disqualified to continue my marriage with Mordechai, which according to the, the Midrash, they were married. And if I'm lost, I'm lost. Just like I am lost from my father's house, so too will I be lost from you. In other words, um, that uh, I won't be able to be with my husband anymore. She's talking to Mordechai. She's saying, just like uh, I no longer uh, will have, uh, will be, uh, if, if things don't work out, so just like I'm going to lose my father's house, I'm also going to lose you because I'm not going to be able to live with you anymore. Vayavor Mordechai. And Mordechai passed. What does it mean he passed? Amarav, Shavir, Yom Wishon Shabbat It means that he fasted on the first day of Pesach because we remember that this whole thing happened in the beginning of Nisan. So, um, so when the fast occurred, it was actually the first day of Pesach. According to this, and it was a violation of the of halacha to fast on the first day of Pesach, but it was an emergency. It doesn't mean that they violated halacha by fasting on the holiday. What it means is that he passed over some water to an area to be able to spread the word to the Jews that everyone should fast and everyone should uh, participate and gather for the uh, uh, you know in in accordance with what uh, Esther requested. Um, on the third day, Esther wore malchut. She wore kingship. Big day malchut. By should say that she wore big day malchut, clothes of kingship. Kingship, royal clothes. What's telling you is not that she wore. Uh, cl- certain type of clothing, but she was enwrapped in Ruach HaKodesh, in Divine Inspiration, Ketiv HaChava Tilbash. It says here that she wore, Uchtivatam, it says there, Ruach HaLavashatam Masai. We saw this Pazuk, this Rashab earlier, that a spirit uh, enveloped or uh, enwrapped a Masai. It was a prophetic spirit. She was wrapped in the spirit of prophecy. I'm Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Elazar said, I'm Rabbi Hanan, then Rabbi Hanan, don't let the blessing of a fool be light in your eyes. Because there were two great people who were blessed by two ordinary people. And the, and the blessing was fulfilled. And here they are. David with Daniel. David de Barche Aravna. Because David was blessed by Aravna, who was the person who sold him the Harabait. Because we see that Aravna said to the king, Hashem Elohecha, that Hashem should find favor with you, and um, and you see that that means that uh, even though he was just a he wasn't even a Jew, he was just an ordinary person, and yet his blessing was of value because of course Hashem did find uh, the favor with David, or, or the other way around, David found favor with Hashem. But Daniel, what's the case of Daniel? Um, uh, because we know that he was thrown into the lion's den uh, because there was a ruse that the advisors of Daryavish convinced him to make a proclamation that would endanger Daniel who prayed all the time by saying that nobody was allowed to pray to anyone. And um, when they put him in the lion's den, so the king said to Daniel, uh, He said, that God that you always pray to uh, should save you from the lion's den, in other words, because really the king didn't want Daniel to die, but the, the advisors convinced him to make this decree that unwittingly condemned 
Daniel to death. So uh, the, the king prayed for him to be saved, and in fact, of course, he was saved from lions. You also shouldn't take the curse of an ordinary person lightly. Because Avimelech actually cursed Torah, because he said, because Avimelech said to after he was fooled, and he thought that she was only the sister of Avram, and he was very upset, he said, it's going to be a covering of the eyes for you. And it came And look what happened to her children. Because it says that Yitzchak got old, and his eyes were blinded, uh, became d- dim. That was because of the curse of Come and see, says Rabbi Elazar in the name of Rabbi Chanina, that the way of Hashem is not like the way of a human being because in the way of the world, the person first puts the pot. In a uh, on the stove and then puts water into the pot. But Hashem puts water first, and then he puts the pot around the water. Because it says that he first put the water in the heavens and then he put the heavens to contain them. So that shows you that water preceded container. Anybody who says something in the name of the one who originally said it, he brings redemption to the world. Because it says Esther. Um, told Achashverosh about the plot of Bitan Batersh against him in the name of Mordechai, and of course that saved the day in the end that, that he knew that it was from Mordechai, and therefore Mordechai had the special honor and the special privilege that he got later. So that was very important. So saying something in the name of the original uh, person who said it, it brings redemption to the world. If a tzaddik is gone, he is lost to his entire generation. Um, that uh, it's like a person who loses a, a, a valuable gem. Wherever it is, it's still there, but who's missing it? The one who owns it. In other words, somebody may have found it, or wherever it is, it's still the beautiful gem that it is, and whoever finds it will be fortunate to find it. But as far as the, we are concerned that we don't have it, so uh, it's lost. And in the same way, a tzaddik is lost to us. When he goes to Olam Haba, he's in great condition there, but for us, for our generation, he is lost. And then we go on with the Drashot, uh, Haman is happy with everything he has or should be but uh, it, it means nothing to him because whenever he sees Mordechai uh, not rise for him and not honor him he really gets upset what does it mean that all of this doesn't mean anything to me whenever he would see his uh, he would see he would be walking by and he would see uh, Mordechai sitting at the gate of the king he would say to himself that this is not that none of this is worth anything to me. And according to the correction on the side, what it should have said was milamed shekol gnazav shel It means to say that all of the treasure that he had was engraved on his heart. So he said zeh, meaning pointing to himself, pointing to his own. Uh, he had a list of all of his inventory on his heart. So he would. It was like when it said zeh, he meant. Um, whether it means literally or figuratively inscribed on his heart, I'm not sure. But either way, the idea is the zeh, all of this is worth nothing to me. He was saying this because it was literally on him. Okay, either literally inscribed in his heart, meaning in his mind, or literally physically he had the list with him everywhere he went. And that's why he said all of this does, isn't worth anything to me whenever I see Mordechai, a Yehudi, um, ignoring me and disrespecting me. Right? Right, so uh, it says. So according to the according to the Bach, there should be a question here, of that it should say. Um, it should say according to the Bach that the mishum Mordechai How could it be that just because he sees Mordechai, all that he has is worth nothing? To him, Ella, it should say according to the Bach, 
Rather, what does it mean? Kedem Rav Chizda, like what Rav Chizda said, Rav Chizda, Zeba beprosboli, Vezeba beprosboti. This one comes with wealth, and this one comes with poverty. What does it mean? It means that Mordechai once, according to the Midrash, Mordechai once owned uh, him uh, owned Haman as a slave. So when he saw Mordechai, it reminded him of his lowly status, and Mordechai, of course, had the advantage over him. Amar Papa, and they called him the slave that was sold. Nehamat should say, I guess, on the side, according to Rashi. The, the slave that was sold for loaves of bread. According to that, he purchased him for loaves of bread because he was very poor. And therefore, uh, he, the, the bread was all that was necessary to uh, purchase him. So that made uh, Haman feel inferior whenever he would see Mordechai because he knew that he was... Uh, in such a sorry state as a slave to Mordechai. Now we saw, according to the according to the corrections, this part should be on the previous Amud, not here, but we'll read it again anyway, since it is here for us. That Milamed that when that his everything that uh, that the reason why he says all of this is nothing to me when I see Mordechai ignore me because because actually his whole inventory of all his riches was written on his heart it was there literally and he was referring to it literally when he saw Mordechai in the future Hashem is going to be like a crown on the head of every tzaddik because as in the future, Hashem is going to be like a beautiful crown. What does it mean? These are like a, uh, for a crown of beauty and a, and, a, and a diadem of splendor. What does it mean? It means to, for those who do according to the way that Hashem commands and who yearn for His splendor. These are the ones who will have the special... Uh, uh, crowning of the presence of God upon them. You might think that means everybody, but it says, to the remnant of his people. It doesn't just mean the people who are left over, it means literally the people who treat themselves as leftovers, the people who are humble. Then it says, for the spirit of judgment, this is talking about a person who judges his own and controls himself. And those who sit on judgment, this is somebody who judges true judgment in a court type of situation, not just on himself. And for might, that's talking about somebody who overcomes their evil inclination. Those who turn back war at the gates, which means that they are engaged in the, in the battle of Torah to learn Torah. Shara at the gate is Elu Tamre Chachamim Shemashkimino Maravin Bevatek Knesiot Bevatek Midashot These are the Tamre Chachamim who come early and leave late from the Bate Knesset and Bate Midash Right? So, in other words, all of this uh, this Pasuk is referring to those who will have a special zikhut in the future to have Hashem's presence rest upon them. It will be those people who do uh, who live in accordance with Hashem's will, who are humble, who control their own, who judge their own Yetzirah, who uh, who judge who judge truthfully when they're judging uh, cases that are between people outside themselves, and uh, who overcome their Yetzirah, who engage in the battle of, for truth and for knowledge of Torah, and who come early and leave late from the Beit Midrash. The attribute of justice said to Hashem why are you saving the Jews from the people of Shushan they're basically the same people meaning that the uh, the, the, uh, the Rashi says uh, yeah I mean the uh, 
the, the what's the difference between the Jews and the uh, the Gentiles that you protect the Jews against the Gentiles uh, attacks? Hashem said to the Midat Adin that Yisrael has the Jews studied Torah. But the nations of the world did not learn Torah. So therefore there's a difference. It says that even these, meaning even those who are supposed to lead tzaddikim, were drinking a lot of wine and getting drunk and making errors and straying and pakup and in paku elageinam. And what does pakup mean? They're judged for plilia means they're judged for uh, I'm sorry, but paku means they're judged that the uh, means geinam. Shenemar v'loti azot lechalefuka. They should not be fearful puka, which is what Avigal said to David Amelech, which means for geinam. Ven pliliyan. The word pliliyan means eladayanin means judge, judges. Shenemar v'natan beflilim, as it says in the Torah, v'natan beflilim. They should give according to the judges. So what does it mean? It means even those who were tzaddikim, even those who were learning, even those who were righteous, uh, they also drank wine and became drunk and did the wrong thing and were not uh, a credit and a, a proper reflection on Hashem. So still, the midata din stands. How could it be that they should be treated any better than anybody else just because they learned Torah if in the end they're not doing the right thing? And it says that Esther stood in the courtyard, the inner courtyard of the king. When she passed by the idol, the shrine of idols that was on the way to the king's chamber, the divine presence left her. So then she said, My God, my God, why have you left me? Maybe you're judging me on mistaken sins like I did them on purpose and maybe on what I'm forced to do like I'm doing it on purpose, meaning that I'm going to the king. Maybe it's considered to be wrong because I know that he's going to have his way with me if I go to him and then it's going to be like I did. I invited it on myself. Or maybe because I called him a dog. Save my soul from a, a, a sword and my and from a dog. Save my soul from a dog. Right? So meaning maybe I shouldn't have been disrespectful in my mind towards Achashverosh. So that's why she referred later in the uh, in this Mizmor Teilim as he referred to him as a lion. Save me from the mouth of a lion. In other words, this according to the Chazal, this uh this chapter of Tehilim of uh, Kafbet is all speaking about Esther's experience uh, and the story of Purim um, with uh, and so therefore it's saying that maybe she wasn't sure was the fact that she was approaching the king inappropriate was the fact that she disrespected the king and called him a kelev a dog uh, so then she corrected it to call him a lion either way eventually the divine presence comes back it really was only it only withdrew from her because she passed by the idols it was when the uh, the king saw Esther. So what happened? Three angels came at that point. One lifted up her neck. And one that stretched out a, a line of grace upon her. And one that stretched out the staff. The the shavit is the. Uh, with it, not the staff, it's called a uh, scepter of the king to reach her. But come on, how far did it stretch out? It was two amot. It was originally two amot and it became twelve. Some say no, it's sixteen. Some say it went to twenty-four. In a bright, it says it went to sixty. Same thing that you find about Bat Paro, that her arms stretched out to grab the uh, little basket that Moshe Rabbeinu was in. 
beyond its usual length. And says the same thing about the teeth of the wicked. When it says in the Pasuk and Teilim that you break the teeth of the wicked, don't read it as you break them, that you make them too long. It's as if the teeth of the wicked uh, uh, stretch all the way down, like over their mouth and close their mouth and seal their mouth. And, and break through, that's the, uh, that's the extension that happens over there. Rabbah bar Ofran, Amar Mishim Rabbi Elazar, Shema Mirabo. So Rabbah bar Ofran heard from Rabbi Elazar, who heard from his teacher, Rabbo Mirabo, and his teacher heard from his teacher, Matayim. It went 200 amot, the scepter of Achashrosh. Either way, the point is that a miracle happened that was very clear that the scepter was extended to Esther and she was safe. Um, and the king said to, the, to Esther, and it's it's corrected on the side that what it should say is Malach Esther Malka. The king said, "What is the problem?" Because he realized that if she came in and risked her life to meet with him, there must be something important. What do you want? Up to half the kingdom, I'll give it to you. Which means only half the kingdom, but not all of it. Um, why does he say that? What does it mean? Not the thing that divides the kingdom. What's that? That's the Bet HaMikdash. Don't ask me to rebuild the Bet HaMikdash. Meaning that the Bet HaMikdash actually had been discontinued before the reign of Achashverosh. They had started building it. It was interrupted. And he said, don't ask me to resume the building of the Bet HaMikdash. That I won't do. Anything else you want, you can have it. So as they said, please have you, you and... and uh, and Haman come to the uh, fe- feast that I prepared for you. Tanu Rabbanan, the rabbis taught, Esther, Why did Esther invite Haman to this dinner? Rabbi Eliezer Omer, She's setting a trap for him. Because it says that the uh, that before the wicked, their table is like a trap. In other words, if she has him there, she has the, there's always the potential that something will go wrong. He'll say something wrong. He'll, she can get him to do something wrong. And uh, it gives her the opportunity to entrap him in something that he'll get in trouble for. Rabbi Yoshua, Mer, Rabbi Yoshua says, It says, if the, the person who hates, uh, the person, uh, uh, somebody who hates you is hungry, feed him bread. In other words, the idea is that maybe she can somehow, uh, even though he's against her, what he can do is uh, he can she can manipulate the situation by be showing kindness to Haman under the under the circumstances, bringing him closer to her, and that will enable her to uh, make sure that his po- his plot is foiled. The reason why she brought him was so that he wouldn't have time to rebel against the king once he realized that things were turning against it. So that, she, that they wouldn't realize that she was Jewish because if she refused to invite Haman and everyone knew that the Jews hated Haman, they would assume that she was Jewish too. Rabbi Nechamiah says, no. If people saw that Esther was really working for them in the house of the king and was refusing to invite Haman and was only dealing with Achashverosh and was, was snubbing Haman, people would say, oh, we have an inside agent inside the palace. They would stop praying. They would stop trying to repent. They would just rely on Esther. So she wanted to keep the fear of Haman alive by inviting Haman to According to Rabbi Yossi, it's so that he'll, he would be available to her so she could find a way to trip him up or get him in trouble at all the time. Rabbi Shimon ben Minasi she wanted Hashem to see it and see how desperate she had gotten that she's even bringing such a terrible enemy with her to the table so that maybe um, he would have mercy on the Jewish people. Another possibility, Rabbi Yossi ben Kochah yeah, Rabbi Yoshua ben Kulcha said, maybe if I flirt basically with the Haman and I'm nice to him, then both of us will be killed. The king will kill both of us, but at least his decree will be foiled and the Jewish people will be saved. So she was like willing to sacrifice herself according to that. Rabban Gamaliel Omer, Melech Afaf 
Hapachpachan Ayah. The thing is that uh, that Achashverosh was a very um, unstable king. He went back and forth. He was uh, he was very wishy washy, and and he would always change his mind. And so therefore, she knew that even if she convinced Achashverosh to turn against Haman, if he wasn't there on the spot at that time, he, then Achashverosh might not follow through. So she wanted him to be right there at the time she revealed the truth, so he would kill Haman on the spot and wouldn't have time to rethink it and to turn back and to change his mind afterwards. Um, <clears throat> He said, even with all this, we still need the Moda'i. It says in the writer, that she wanted to get the, uh, the jealousy of the king and the jealousy of the officers awakened. Now, what does that mean? It means that when the king would start wondering, why did my wife invite this other man to a dinner with me? And also the other officers will say, hey, how come only Haman gets invited to these special VIP dinners with the queen and the king? It would, it would make everybody already primed to feel resentment towards Haman. And she could take advantage of that when she wants to bring about Haman's downfall. Rabba Amar, Lifnei Shever Another idea of what happened here was the Fnei Shevagon, which is the principle that a person, before they fall, feels arrogant. In other words, at the moment that you feel comfortable, you feel, you feel safe, you feel secure, you become complacent and you fall. That's what happened to Haman. He had his guard down because he felt so honored by being invited to this dinner. And actually, when he has his guard down, it's the best time to bring him down. And then she knew that. Um, Abay and Rava said together, uh, and, and yet another concept of why uh, that the, the Pasuk is, uh, is referring, um, that, uh, it's talking about Bel Shatzar, that in their, in, in the time that they were, uh, uh, feeling overheated and tired and they sat to partake of the, um, of drink from the vessels of the Bet HaMikdash, and that was what brought about the destruction of Bel Shatzar. So in the same way, from the Mishteh, from being drunk, from being, you know, uh, from being in a situation of a meal like that, Haman can end up bringing about his own destruction. What's the answer? We have like 10 answers here at least of why Esther invited Haman to the party. What is the true answer? And Eliyahu said, uh, they're all correct. All of the Tanaim, all of the Amoraim, every one of their points is valid. Every one of their points was uh, taken into account by Esther. As we say, behavior has multiple determinants. There's one. There's no one reason that she did it. She did it for multiple reasons, all of which were valid. And uh, and so therefore, um, she, none of these answers is wrong. They're all right. There were many, many benefits in inviting Haman to this party.